So today is, as I think all of you know, the Feast of St. Francis and the Blessing of the Animals. So it's super fun to be able to see all of your faces as we worship over Zoom and also really fun to be able to see the occasional animal face pass by. Um, I don't know about you, but my sort of mental note card for St. Francis um, usually just says, likes animals, comma, nice. And um, I find sometimes it's helpful to sort of put St. Francis into um, his context and to look up a little bit more deeply at his life story in order to understand a little bit more fully what he was about and what the blessing of the animals means. So I'm going to share my screen and share just a few, um, here we go, a few images as we talk about the life of St. Francis. Um, and as I tell this story, I invite you to kind of have in the back of your head, the question of what part of the life of, of St. Francis, what part of his ministry most calls to you? So St. Francis was born in the city of Assisi, which you see here in, in modern day. Um, in Italy, at the height of the Middle Ages in the 12th century, he was born in, into a wealthy family. His father was a cloth merchant um, at a time when, when clothes really did make the man. And um, one of St. Francis's contemporaries said that Francis's father's religion was money and the respect that it brought. And Francis was a man of his time and a man of his family. He joined in his father's ambitions for his family, for status, for um, increasing wealth. And as a young man, he prepared to go into his father's business. He ran around with a group of young men in Assisi who gambled and uh, mounted raids on neighboring city-states. Um, he liked the ladies. But always in the back of his mind was a sense that there was something more. And a sort of um, voice in his head and in his heart that called him um, toward God and gave him a sense that whatever that something more was, um, it was somehow connected to the poor and to those who were sick and to those who were left outside, and in many cases, literally outside the walls of the city of Assisi. And so as a young man, Francis took um, to sneaking out of his father's house and sneaking out of the city of Assisi in the dead of night and going to sleep in a church outside the city, the church of San Damiano, which um, this is an old, an old fresco, so it's a little bit fuzzy, but you can see the broken down church. And Francis would sneak out at night and he would pray um, in the ruined church and he would sleep on its dirt floor. And one night as he was praying, Jesus spoke to him from the crucifix. He heard the voice of Jesus saying, rebuild my church. And at first, Francis thought that Jesus was speaking literally, that Jesus literally wanted him to rebuild the church of San Damiano. But over the course of time, it became increasingly clear to him that what Jesus was calling him to do was to be a part of rebuilding the church more in the image of Jesus, of rebuilding the church so that it could minister the way that Jesus ministered. And as Francis went deeper and deeper into that calling, he became more and more convinced that he couldn't both 
follow his father's plan for him and follow what Jesus was calling him to do. And so he came to a time of decision and he stood in the square of Assisi, his hometown, and gave back his inheritance, gave back everything he owned, even the clothes on his back. You can see on the left, his father um, pleading with him to return home, pleading with him to give up this crazy idea, holding the clothes that Francis has taken off. You can see on the bishop, the bishop on the right looking embarrassed and sort of trying to um, hold a cloth around Francis's waist for decency's sake. In fact, everyone looks very upset and very embarrassed, except um, maybe you can see at the, in the top left, there um, is a little hand in the sky that Francis is looking at. And those are the, um, the hands of Jesus reaching down in blessing. So God is the only one who's approving of, of Francis's decision as he leaves the square of Assisi without even the clothes on his back. So he decides to follow Jesus. And so he goes back to that ruined church outside of town, which had become a place where lepers, um, where the poor, where those with no one else, where those who had nowhere else to go spent their time. And Francis began spending all of his time with them. He would work in the fields during the day for food, and then he would bring the food back and he'd share it with the poor and the sick. And I think that's a sort of easy to romanticize image, but I would imagine it was cold and, and that the floor got hard after a little while a big status, sign of status in the Middle Ages was having a bed. And Francis had given up a comfortable bed to sleep on the floor. And that he would bathe the wounds of lepers, that he would care for the sick, that he would be willing to risk getting sick himself. Because he had a sense that um, wherever Jesus was calling him, it had something to do with those who were poor and those who were sick. And he had a sense also that it had to do with animals. So many of the stories that you hear are about St. Francis and animals, hence the blessing of the animals that we celebrate today. You see in the top left of this, uh, top right rather, this icon, birds. There's a story that St. Francis tried to preach his message of joy and love and poverty to human beings and it didn't go very well. And so St. Francis began preaching to the birds, preaching to the animals. We read, um, one of the prayers of St. Francis um, at the opening of the service where he calls um, animals, he calls the earth, he calls the sun, the water and fire, his brothers and sisters. That was a key um, piece of the teaching of St. Francis. That's why we have animal blessings on this day. And he called all of creation his siblings, brother, son, sister, moon, and I think it's, it's worth talking about this for a minute. Why did Francis choose to spend all of his time with the poor and with animals? And I think there's probably something deeper um, going on than just the fact that animals are cute, even though they definitely are. And some of you have sent me some great animal pictures. I think this is Victoria. I think that's a gecko in one of her hands. The Peterson's dog, look at those ears. Fantastic. Got one more, some pretty cute animals. But there is more than just um, a sort of sentimental attachment to animals going on. Um, for Francis, I think he's trying to say something about who Jesus is and how Jesus calls us to live. This, um, you might have seen in a history textbook at some point, this is um, 
was called in the Middle Ages, uh, the great chain of being. This was sort of a core assumption that everyone rich and poor lived with in the Middle Ages. At the top, you have um, this castle that symbolizes the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God. And then you have this ladder starting at the very top. The very top, you have God. And then under it, the angels. And then the heavens. And then under it, um, human beings. And then the beasts of the earth, then animals. Um, under, it the under it, plants, then fire, and then, the sto and then stones, so inanimate objects. And the idea was that all the world was organized by hierarchy. And at the top of the hierarchy was God, and at the bottom of the hierarchy were plants and animals and stones sort of created things, and human beings were in the middle. And within human beings, of course, there was also a hierarchy where the poor were at the bottom and the rich were at the top. And the higher you were toward the top of the stairs, the closer you were to God, the more important of God, the more important you were, the more worthy of God's love, of God's attention and God's care you were. So human beings were more worthy of God's attention than plants were, than animals, and some human beings were of more interest to God than others. And we can look at this and say, this is just a strange medieval thing that we've grown out of, or we can recognize that we do live in a world where some people are considered more important than others. Um, and that a world in which we think that often that the created world, that plants, that animals exist beneath us and are there to be exploited for our convenience. And all of Francis's life is basically about saying that this hierarchy is wrong. That to follow Jesus is to believe that all that God has created stands before God on an equal plane joined together with one voice of praise. That the world isn't a hierarchy, that there's God and then that there's the rest of creation joined together in equality as brothers and sisters, right? That's why it's brother, sun and sister moon, brother um, water and sister fire. We are all brothers and sisters joined together. Each part of creation is perfectly designed by God for a purpose each voice is needed in the great choir that sings praise to God. And that means that the mentally ill person living on the street is just as important as the CEO of a company. The single mom barely paying rent is just as important as the elite medical researcher. And even more radically, the birds of the field, the trees, the earth beneath our feet, all of this is precious in the sight of God, maybe even just as precious as we are. Which is a radical idea. It was radical back then and certainly radical now. And Francis insisted that it's very hard to treat anyone well if you live inside this hierarchy because you're constantly trying to figure out if someone's above you, if someone's below you. And so to follow Jesus and to treat others with compassion, you have to step outside of this stair-step system. You have to step outside of hierarchy entirely. And so Francis began the Franciscan order of monks, which are called the Friars Minor, which is um, a translation of the little brothers. And the idea was that to be a Franciscan, to follow Jesus in Francis's way, was to go through life treating all of creation as if you were, 
its little brother. And I don't know if any of you have little brothers. Um, I, I do. And there was a very brief shining period where my brother would just follow me around and thought everything I did was wonderful. Um, it, it's gone. I mean, it's over. It's long over now. But, um, but that was the attitude that Francis wanted to cultivate in everyone who followed God with him, was that your attitude toward um, the wealthy, toward the poor, toward um, animals, toward plants, toward every part of God's creation was that of an admiring little brother who just wanted to learn and follow and be in awe of how each part of creation followed God. He also um, felt really strongly, um, and I thought this quote was really interesting because what Francis is trying to say here, I think, is that um, the same sort of mental change that it takes in order to um, treat God's creation with compassion and care is the same sort of mental conversion it takes to deal, uh, to treat our fellow human beings with compassion and care that in order to follow Jesus, we have to step outside that hierarchy and that our treatment of anim the animals in our lives and that our, our treatment of the created world around us of nature is sort of a training ground that allows us to treat other human beings with greater compassion as well. That to see the entire um, world that God has created as if we are, were its admiring, humble little brother is the way that you step out of the hierarchy. You, face, you approach the entire world with humility and willingness to learn. And Francis's commitment to being a little brother to all creation took him on all kinds of adventures. He, um, he died fairly young in his late 40s, not a dime to his name. Um, and legend has it that his final words were, I have done what it is mine to do. May Christ teach you what is yours. So I encourage you to take a little bit of time this week to think about um, what part of Francis's life and ministry most resonates with you. And what is one way that you might be called to imitate his life and his ministry this week?